Welcome to Stratford Lutheran's Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex, and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series, and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. to read a Christmas poem written by Thomas Terry, because I find that it just fits so well with this particular night and the direction I wanted to take tonight's message in, and so I chose this piece, and I hope you enjoy it. It begins with this, what good is the Christmas story if it's void of God and his glory? What's the worth of words, peace on earth, if it's not rooted in the truth of Christ's birth? What benefit is it for us to discuss the joy of the season unless we fix our hearts and minds on principal reason that Christ has atoned for us? See, Christmas is more than just a story of a baby born in a manger, more than the poor fiancé engaged to a humble virgin teenager, more than magi, more than gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's more than the narrative of a nativity scene. It is so much more that occurred. It's the coming of the Messiah the fulfillment of all Old Testament promises, the prophecy of the suffering servant and all of his accomplishments, the second person of the Trinity commissioned to abandon his position and literally set aside the independent exercise of his attributes in full submission. The word manifested in flesh, the fullness of God expressed, the self-emptying Jesus poured out at the Father's request. The image of the invisible God, the radiance of the Father's fame, holy, but retained his humanness to empathize with our pain. He was unjustly crushed, chastised, cursed, and shamed, mocked and adorned with a crown of thorns, disgraced, but he still faced the grave. To fulfill the Father's will, to come and die in the place of sinful man, and to receive the full fury of God's judgment upon himself instead. The most monumental mark of mankind made in human history, wretched sinners being made righteous only by the wounds of the risen king, the condescending of a holy God made in the likeness of man, 
a child born to be the Savior that would save this world from their sins. The offspring of the virgin's womb, the Christ, God's own son, fully God yet fully man, the only theanthropic one. This is why we celebrate Christ, the newborn king, veiled in the flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Once again, I would like to welcome you tonight to this wonderful Christmas service, and I pray that through these, this message that you are blessed with the reminder of why Christ came into this world, not just to be born as a baby, but to also die for us. So we come together as a church once a year to celebrate the biggest day in Christian history, the day that our Messiah came to us in the flesh. This is the celebration of the Savior's birth. But yet, I want to take tonight in just a little bit different direction, maybe one you may not have heard too often on a Christmas Eve sermon. See, I want us to look at this baby in the manger, but I also want us to consider the task to which he was sent to accomplish. I want us to not only celebrate his birth, but also his death. See, that's the whole reason he came, to set sinners free of their sins. As that poem lays out, what good is the Christmas story if it is void of a Savior? In this climate that we find ourselves in, there's so many things beckoning for our attention, whether it's businesses fighting over us to come and shop there, whether it's the countless Christmas movies that are being mass-produced every year, the new songs and new stories and all these new traditions being pumped out. The list goes on and on of all of these things that are just screaming at us for attention. And these are well and fine. In fact, my wife and I enjoyed taking our kids on various activities and, and, and having fun with this Christmas season. But what I've discovered is if they are absent of our Savior, can we truly call it Christmas? We find tonight this story of the angel who is visiting Joseph. And we're told just a little bit more around the context surrounding this baby to be born. Born to a poor fiancé and a humble virgin teenager. And yet this story is more than just that. It is indeed more than the magi, more than the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. It's more than just the nativity scene that we put up in our houses every year. See, it's about the exact moment in which God bursts into our timeline, bursting into our lives to interrupt everything that we thought we had so well. This smooth life where we thought we didn't need a Savior, Christ has broken in. And as our gospel message indicates, Joseph is visited by this angel of the Lord. And initially, as with many encounters in Scripture, they are told not to fear. For what is conceived in Mary was in fact from the Holy Spirit. Now we should pay attention and make a few notes about this passage because it's not explicitly written, but I think it's well for us to understand this. See, Joseph has an obligation as being a, Jew, a first century Jew. He has an obligation to the law. And 
we see that Joseph is a just man. And being that, he decides to divorce Mary quietly. He does this because he doesn't want to have to go through the consequences of what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 22. That states that if a virgin who is betrothed to a man meets her in the city, and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, if she doesn't cry out, they are both to be stoned. This is the reality of the text. This is what would have happened had Joseph followed through with his obligations to the law. And this is exactly why the first words out of the angel's mouth to Joseph is, do not fear for what Mary is carrying is going to be something greater. See, he's giving him these crucial instructions, and then he proceeds to tell him to take Mary as his wife. And it is in this moment that Joseph makes this decision. Do I follow through with what the law has detailed me to do? Or do I flat out ignore the law and listen to what the angel of the Lord is telling me? As we know, Joseph goes on to ignore the law because something greater was at work. Something greater than just following these little pieces of what Moses wrote. Something had to occur, and it occurred in this manner. A virgin will be pregnant, and she will birth the Son of God. As foretold by the prophets, as being foretold throughout all of the centuries of the history of Israel, the Son of God coming to us in the flesh. This is the second person of the triune Godhead manifesting himself to us. So I can see where Joseph has this dilemma. I can surely understand the pressure and the stresses that he would have gone through. Because it's something that would be quite daunting. Either he would have to divorce Mary or have her stoned, as according to the Jewish law. But I really want to stress this point across. It would be very dangerous for us to place our understanding of current cultural convictions into this text. But I would safe to say it is indeed an impossible situation that Joseph had faced. Obligations to the law, but now he's got an angel telling him to ignore that, to take Mary as his wife. She will birth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Not only did he and Mary face intense social shame in this, I'm sure he would have been plagued by the doubts of Mary's trustworthiness. And I would think that in any time in history, these would be justifiable thoughts, something common amongst any person who would face a situation similar So it's easy for us to marvel at this story where this angel comes in and interrupts Joseph, telling him, look, this is what is going to happen. Mary, who will become your wife, will birth this son, and you will name him Jesus. I love the Christmas story. It is one of the most enthralling passages in all of Scripture. It is one of the most intriguing and mysterious passages One where we see the Son of God being conceived in the womb. 
You know, a lot of us like to picture Jesus in this freshly newborn baby stage, but we forget that it takes nine to ten months for that baby to grow. Starting out as just a little tiny speck and developing into this human child. We can spend all evening elaborating on the virgin birth. We can talk about all of the prophecies being laden before us. We can talk about how it happened in the most insignificant town in the most random of times after some 430 years of silence. And yet, sometimes I think we might even overshadow some of the most profound miracles in this passage that Joseph believed. He heard what the angel said. He could have doubted then. He could have taken Mary and had her divorced or stoned. But I find the greatest miracle is that he simply believed. But see, isn't that the greatest miracle of all Scripture? That this little baby will go on to become our Savior, die for us, and resurrect for us. And so that all who believe in him will be saved. The sheer fact that we have this saving knowledge in the back of our minds is truly the greatest miracle of all the stories. It's truly a miracle that any of us have faith. That when Abraham in Genesis heard the voice of God, he obeyed. When Moses encountered the burning bush, he obeyed and had faith. When David listened to the voices of the prophets, he had faith. And this list goes on and on throughout all of Scripture. And if we look past Scripture and into the early church and all the way through the centuries to today, the list is endless of all of those who have come to faith. Every person that has come to believe the gospel is truly a part of the greatest miracle known to mankind. And it begins with this birth. It begins on this night in a manger in a small town where nobody would have ever expected a savior to be born. He wasn't born in Jerusalem in the temple. He wasn't born in any high rise around the world. He wasn't born into modern times with all of the technology that we have. He was born in a dusty, dirty barn. But we should also consider why this had to take place. Why did it have to come in this fashion? Why couldn't Jesus be born in modern times? In a nice hospital that was clean and sanitary. But I think there's a lot of implications to which we will get to here in a moment. But I think the biggest one that we can consider right off of the bat is that the biggest reason why it happened is because Christ had to come so that he could take our sins from us and then die in our place. In this moment on the cross that we will see Jesus now in 30 years, on that cross, Jesus is receiving the wrath of God poured out upon him for our sins. Can you imagine this? See, in Matthew 28, it tells us that in the moment of his death, Jesus goes into the underworld and speaks to the captives. It's an interesting passage. It's only a couple verses. 
Paul and Peter reflect it too. But in Matthew 28, the dead rise and walk amongst the living. Kind of fascinating text. Because if we were to consider all of those in Israel who had believed for the 4,000 years or so, plus every Christian after the ascension of Christ that will come to believe up until the point of Christ's return. All of those people, Christ died for their sins. He took the wrath of God upon himself in that moment. Not only just those who would believe, but all of the world. Think about that. Seven and a half billion people in the world currently right now. And Christ took the wrath of God upon himself for each of those people, even when they don't believe. Because we know that the only thing that Christ won't forgive at Judgment Day is unbelief. So this, I think, is probably the greatest miracle of any of the texts, not just that Joseph believed, but that we believe. And that is why you're here. Some 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating this birth, this miracle of Christ coming into our lives. And we get to partake in that. We get to come together and worship the Savior. His death and his resurrection are truly the whole scope of his life. Not just his birth, not just his ministry, but his death and resurrection. See, these things had to happen as in accordance to the scripture. John will come to Christ and when Jesus comes to be baptized, and he will say, Sir, I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, no, you must, to fulfill all righteousness. Everything had to happen in a very specific, detailed order because it fulfills all of the Old Testament prophecy. That's why when you read the Nativity scene, whether you're in Matthew or Luke, you'll get all of this Old Testament text because you're, you're reading into what the prophets had foretold centuries before. We opened with the lessons and carols with Isaiah that was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. And Isaiah nailed it because the word of God was being spoken to him. It might be hard to consider the manger in this particular fashion, a site to where we see the cross in the distance, knowing that when Christ came to be born for us, that he must die at our hands. Christ did not commit any sins in his life, nor did he break any law that would inhibit punishment of death. But yet, he was wrongly accused, falsely tried, and hung on a cross between two criminals. Jesus enters this world through suffering and pain of childbirth. He experiences those around him who are suffering and have suffered. And he will go on to endure suffering at the cross. So we might think about this manger and this pretty little picture that we have in our little nativity scene. It was all nice and organized, and we've got the wise men on the outside. If you're theologically correct, they're off in the distance. You've got the angels and the shepherds. You've got the animals around Joseph and Mary huddled over the baby Jesus lying in a feeding trough. It's beautiful. And it's a wonderful scene for us to hold to every holiday season. But there is some reality to this that really drives home 
this whole premise to the Messiah. This was certainly not a sanitary barn. There were not, you know, doctors and nurses around helping Mary in this process. It was dark, it was cold, it was dirty. And yet, this is how God chose to enter our world. This is how God chose to break into our timeline. And that is the magic of this season. Yes, this birth that happened some 2,000 years ago. But it is something even greater than that still. Because Christ is still breaking into our lives today. He is still seeking after you, chasing you down, letting you know this fundamental truth that he died for you. He has taken his sins upon himself and he forgives you. See, that's the, that's the paramount to the whole Lutheran faith, this for you concept. See, when we read Christ's words in the scripture, especially as we will get to in the Lord's Supper shortly, pay attention when you come and you partake in the bread and wine that you will hear these words for you. Each and every one of you, Christ did this for you forgives you of your sins, came into this world to give you faith. Just as much as Christianity is a corporate religion and we have a body of believers that we come together every Sunday in worship, it is very individualized as well. Because each individual who comes to church has given the truth, the acknowledgement that this promise is for you. That Christ did this for you. Now, I can imagine, previous to the angels visiting Mary and Joseph, the discussion that Jesus may be having with the Father in heaven, surrounding this context of, I am going to go into this world, be born as a baby, grow up, preach the law, preach the gospel, forgive sins, die for the world, resurrect from the grave, be seen by over 5,000 people, and then ascend to heaven. And he does this not just for the first century Jews, and not just for that early church, but for every single believer since then. It seems like such a, a, a really crazy story to really think about, that we would come here some 2,000 years later and sit in a church and, and hear this message and then believe it. See, that's what faith is that you come here on this briskly cold night where the weather has just not been in our favor, but you are still here because Christ is calling to you. And he's telling you this. So this Christmas, I want to just set this in your ear, that Christ came into this world as a baby so that he would go on to die as a sinless man but as Paul will write, he takes our sin and becomes sin. And he does this so that he can free you from your sins. This Christmas is for you.
Alex at Stratford Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have enjoyed these sermons and you are interested in helping support our church, you can do so by going to stratfordlutheran.org and clicking on the About Us tab. Then you will see a little link that says Support Our Church. You can click on that. It'll bring you to a page called Vanco. And you can sign in, create an account, and you can either do a one-time gift or you can set up recurring gifts. It's easy, it's convenient, it's secure. It's what we've been using for the last four years in our church for our online giving platform. So we would ask you to prayerfully consider helping support our church as we continue to provide you godly-centered content in the years to come. Thank you once again for listening, and God bless.